This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USB has escaped the Groundhog Day existence and has ended the Helton era. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 426, coming to you on Thursday, November 18th. This is the USC-UCLA Rivalry Edition. I am joined with our friend Jake Merrifield from the What's Bruin Show. We'll talk to him. We'll preview the game, play some over and under, open up a mailbag, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansire.com, and our phone number is 213 213- Three seven three one USC second what's Bruin show. Yes, there you go. go I'm Bruins. okay. You, you might want to not touch that. Go Bruins. Not not today, Jake. <laughs> How about this one? I'm happy that UCLA won. Not this is not the episode. <laughs> All right, this one. I despise UCLA. Okay, I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with our soundboard soundboard pressing friend. Fool. Fool. From the uh, What's Bruin show, Jake Merrifield. That is me. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we are at uh, your studio. Here Welcome to in, the, in the What's Valley. Bruin show yeah. studios. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say I would like to apologize in advance because, you know, this is not the Reign of Troy studios, which has some sound dampening technology installed. It's a very professional place. Uh, to be honest, I mean, we haven't put up the tiles yet. Let's just, just go with it, right? Just go with it. Sorry, right? sorry. At least, at, at yeah, least it does. At some yes. point it did. It, yes. For sure. And it will in the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the What's Bruin show studio happens to just be my garage. And so there's all sorts of it ambient sounds. sounds. In here, yeah. There might be a you know a 200 pound dog roaming through at some point, knocking something over. Yep. You know, so there there might be some noises, and I apologize in advance. The sound czars of our listenership are, are going to be thoroughly upset when they hear you. I think you are the biggest your, sound your czar of your listenership, gin or whatever you're drinking. Yeah, I think you're the you're the biggest sound czar of your own li- listenership. So I mean, if it lives up to your standards, then I think yeah. everybody else will be happy. Yeah. But anyways, I'm happy to be here. I am happy you're here. I am happy to be here too. I'm very honored. This is the first time. I have co-hosted Reign of Troy. Yeah, look at that. I'm, I'm we, very we, thrilled. We've done, you know, mashups where, uh, and and uh, collabs, as the YouTubers would say. Yeah, but uh, we we haven't necessarily co-hosted. So you are filling in for Alicia, who is on special secret assignment. That's right. We will hear from her later. Yes. Um. So look forward to that uh, later on in the show. But it's rivalry week. It makes sense to have you on SC UCLA. You told me before we started recording this. Yes, doesn't feel like rivalry week to you. Like not even a little bit. Like starting to it, right now, it doesn't for me either. Looking at you, you know, in the eyes, you know, and I knowing that we're actually going to talk about the game. Sure. But I did two hours of podcasting yesterday for our show, um, and of course, there's a lot of men's basketball talk because UCLA is looking pretty good right now. There's a lot of football talk because everybody's either super pissed about it or just super it's kind of like blah about it, but. When we actually got to talking about the Crosstown Showdown, it was like, you know, we've been, you know, doing our show for what, like eight years now. You've been doing yours for 10. And of all that time that I've been podcasting about UCLA football, this is the one where I'm just like, is it really UCLA USC week? I just, 
just not feeling it. It's weird because you look back and mm, was last year's exciting? I don't think so. It was an exciting game. The the game itself was incredible. But yeah. the lead up to it, but you're right. The yeah. lead up, I, I don't feel like I was amped for that one. No. Uh, the 2018 game, I don't feel like I was amped for that one. No. Um, and I, I put on our rundown that in the intro we can talk about the rivalry in general, our favorite moments or, or, or whatnot. And I feel like I say this every year in the lead up to this rivalry. Maybe this is a hot take. The rivalry sucks. And the rivalry sucks because it has not been good in 30 years because there's this imbalance where either UCLA is good or USC is good and neither of them are both good at the same time. Yeah, we've been searching for that for, you know, so what's in yeah. Aikman and Pete, right? Right. Pretty much. Last year's game objectively was the best game in 30 years. For, for a neutral observer, I think like it went back and forth. It was decided at the end. Can you think of another SCUCLA game that was that went back and forth and decided at the end in the last thirty years? I can't think of one. I mean, you can think of some that got decided at the end. Not necessarily. I mean, thirteen and, to nine was not necessarily back and forth. It was just a slog of a game that had giant stakes and yeah. the underdog won. I, I don't think. Right. I don't think a neutral observer would have enjoyed that game. I don't know. I. I, I certainly a neutral observer. The, the underdog would, aspect would sure. like would like what happened uh, last year better yeah, for the whole game for sure. Yeah. Sure. And, yeah, there's things but, to appreciate. You got to go back to like, yeah. you know, 96 in the overtime game. Yeah, which is probably my favorite because that was when I was a student. Um I got to the game, I got in a car accident before the game. I actually, this is a confession here, I actually didn't even get to stay to the end of the game because I had to leave because it was getting dark and I had no headlights. And wow. so I watched the game from the golf course on somebody's TV, uh the the very last uh series. Because I was like, I had to drive back to Riverside. Uh, I This is the first time, Rain Troy uh, listeners, that I've shared that story. I've always claimed to be at the entire game. Wow. But I walked out uh, in the middle of overtime. Big confession. Yeah, big confession. But but I did, I did get to see that. Uh, but that's my favorite one, I think. Well, that game, until last year, I did not go to the SCUCLA game last year, which was the first SCUCLA game that I had missed wow. since 96. Wow, wow. First one I ever went to was 97. I've been to everyone since then except for last year. And the 96 game, I was mad at my dad <laughs> in the 90s because he would take me to every game except that game. Oh, my gosh. He would take my uncle or he would take somebody else because, I don't know, I, I guess I wasn't mature enough to go to that game uh, and until I was eight. When well, I was eight, I was magically allowed to go. Well, to be fair, in the 90s and the early 2000s, the only games that I would... All, I have memories of almost getting into fights is at that game because sure. you know you'd be set beside somebody right. who was you know very drunk and belligerent and uh, wanted to start a fight. Yeah, and so ninety six. Ninety six. I didn't go. I was seven years old. Me and my mom went to the mall. I remember we went to um, at one point we went to the Round Table in Torrance. Rest in peace. It's no longer there anymore. Rip Round Table. Love Round Table. And uh, we have one out here. More more of a rectangle table guy. Yeah. Anyways, I like roundtable. Um, it, it's all right. Um, we went to roundtable. We left when SC was up seventeen, and I remember thinking, I "Thought we, you were good." We went to the mall, and we're like, "I'm like, yeah, we don't have to watch the rest of the game. It's over. SC Little has ended the streak, know. and they'd have to wait three more years to actually end the streak." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you know. For you, I'm, I'll bet you that one of your favorite SC game memories of your of your lifetime sure. is the game where they did break the streak. A very cathartic experience, I'm sure. That was wild to me mm -hmm. because I was 10. There were literally families taking family photos on the field as if it was like a once-in-a-lifetime moment. 
people run, you know, uh, running onto the field and 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 that that whole thing for for that game. Uh, I also remember the guy next to me uh, eating wings, and he was a UCLA fan. And every time UCLA would get a first down, he'd go Yahoo. Yeah, which I remember thinking like, who actually says? Yahoo. Yahoo, yeah. Which at the time, at first I was like, isn't that, that that search engine that I just learned about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that, right? Because just uh, you know, eight years later, or on the eighth year later, five USC victories later, two that we can forget about because they're no longer there. Uh, they happened. I had the same. Fo- I have a. I have a photo in my house of me, my dad. Uh, you know, one of the games I went to with my dad uh, and a bunch of our friends that we had season tickets with for like ten years you know, celebrating the 13 to nine game. So it's like, I completely identify with that. And that's why that game will always go down for me as one of my favorites. Cause you know, it's just one of those things where it was so that, that one was, was a big one, but it turned out to mean nothing because then you end up reeling off, reeling off another five after that. The one for me that was the most cathartic was of course the one, uh, 2012 Morris first year and the, you know, the Matt Barkley pick and all yeah. that. Oh, that was, that was, that was a, Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic game. Yeah, 38-28. And um, that's probably, other than the Cape McNown game, the comeback game, that's probably my favorite SC-UCLA game. Yeah, that was one that definitely stung for SC. Kind of put the nail in the coffin for Kiffin leading into the year in which he was fired because people wanted him fired after that game, which which was crazy in hindsight given it was a year removed from the 2011 season, which was, you know, a pivotal moment for SC, but at the same point, I mean, number one team in the country going into the season, you end up going seven and six. Yeah, that's the problem too. So it's quite a case of whiplash for the fans. Yeah. So yeah, the the the, the thing is for me that the rivalry has not been what it has supposed to be. the The rivalry was at its best in the eighties, uh, the early nineties. That's when it was at its best for me. And that's when SC and UCLA were basically at the same level. Yeah. Um, even in the seventies, I'm, I'm sure there was moments, and you know, the, surely in the sixties, uh, when you had the the '67 game, game of the century, uh, both teams at their peak, but usually they're not at the same level. And this year again will not be at the same level, which is ironic to say when you when you look at the the records, they're only a game and a half apart, but they both teams feel like they're worlds apart. I don't know about that. I mean, like, I I guess if we get into, like, breaking down how both teams have been playing as of late and, like, what's sure. gone wrong with UCLA season which versus what's gone wrong with SC season, right. I think they are a little bit further apart, obviously. Um, yeah, but as far as just, like, when you look at just the raw statistics of it, you know, the spread is plus, uh, you know, USC plus three as the home team. But if you look at like the win predictors for the different, you know, analytics things, they like sway slightly in favor of USC, which is kind of, you know, bizarre or, or just kind of it's based on the talent and stuff like that. But um, it's sad to say, but I feel like this year's teams are closer than any of the last, you know, number of teams have been. And that's okay. kind of a sad thing because they're both kind of, you know, on the I eh, mean, to pathetic side. I'll give you that. I mean, you also look at Chip Kelly is on, uh, he's on the block, right? Like, this is a... Depending on who you talk to, he may or may not be, yes. But certainly from the fans' perspective, he absolutely is. Okay, Let, let's let's talk about that for a second. What do you mean may or may not be? Well, I mean, uh, on one hand, you could say, you know, look, look he's pissed off the local media for sure. And uh, they're certainly after his ass right now. 
Um, he's pissed off the fans for sure, uh, being that he's a guy who, since he's been in Westwood, has put together like one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, cumulative record of any other coach that's been there for four years. He's done things like gone, like, uh, you know, uh, I think he's like six and 12 at home or something. I, I remember the exact stat, but he's lost a bunch of home games. He's lost like all of the close games. I, I did a, the numbers uh, the other day, and he's like, one and one in close games uh, the first year, one and one in close games the second year, oh and two in the last two, you know, two years in close games. It's just like everything he could do to kind of like win some uh, fan support. You know, every once in a while there's a big win, but, you know, other than that, it's just, it's been very depressing, especially based on what the expectations were coming in. Uh, so there's a lot of fans who are just pretty much done with him. Uh, what we kind of are as a show, for the most part, is. We wouldn't mind seeing him for another year, I think, just to see what kind of happens as they have, even though it's been in the slightest positive trajectory, it still is a positive trajectory. And with all the jobs opening in college football right now, like you kind of wonder, you know, if you get rid of him without having somebody that's a a decent candidate in place, like what are you really doing? You might as well, I think, in my opinion, I think you might as well roll the dice in one more season and just see how it goes and see how all these other college football uh, openings uh, end up. And then maybe next year you have a better pick because everybody's changed coaches this year. I find that interesting because I don't know, I don't know how that works out. I, I think that near do I actually. I, I I get the logic there, but I also think that you know finding a coach it's such a crapshoot because look at it three four years ago. Absolutely, UCLA made the best hire they possibly could have. Yeah, with Chip Kelly and it didn't work. Yeah, but that, that I think it's what's got me a little bit trigger shy, sort of. You know, and then they got Jim Mora, and he turned out to be a terrific hire for UCLA, especially given where they were. Um, and he was like, you know, like the eighth or ninth pick, I want to say. And then Mick Cronin was a disaster hire. Yeah. The and process at, was hot. Pete Carroll was a, oh my gosh, what a meh hire. To, and then, to, to you know. Back this up. Mick Cronin wasn't a disaster hire. The process was yes. a disaster that ended up with Mick Cronin, who was seen as a, a good alternative for a, as bad as the, the process Everybody was. was making fun of UCLA until they weren't over that hire. Right, yeah. Um, but we've talked about it on our show. I, I think Mike Bone and... Uh, and Martin Jarmond are significantly better than the ADs that were at SC and UCLA before. There is no doubt about that. So um, I think either team should probably feel better you, about you know replacing their coach right now. If both guys, both ADs, went out and got their former coaches from their previous stops, would we all just be shooting rainbows at our asses at this point? Like, would that be like the ideal situation for kind of both schools? I probably think so. Uh, the Boston College guy who's Halfley, right? Yeah, Halfley. Jeff Halfley. I I don't know enough about him uh, off the top of my head. I remember I, I want to say that we had him in our in our rundown and put that uh, uh, he was kind of like a like a meh kind of hire. And, and that's mostly he's starting to get heat now. He's starting to get heat yeah. now, but he still feels a year away, right? And that's exactly what I was saying is that. I feel like with a guy like that, like hopefully I'm hoping that a guy like that doesn't get the heat at the end of this season just because there's sure. so many vacancies. And then next year, if Chip doesn't work out as he is not working out right now, then it feels like you go get that guy right when he's starting to, you know, really ascend and you have the end. All the, you know, the, everybody's, you know, assuming that there's a big chance that Fickle will go to SC, not only because SC is a prized destination, but also because of the connection between Bone and him. Right. Well, next year, UCLA has a lighter version of that, you know, idea right. with the Jarmond and. and, and yeah, and I, I get it. I, I get it. And I think that's something to keep an eye on. I, yeah. 
I don't know. For for me, uh, we're going to talk about UCLA obviously more as we preview the game here. But for me, I, I think you want to give a coach at least three years, ideally. Yeah. If things are historically bad after year two, I think you got to pull the plug. Jimmy Lake. Uh, yes. Um, but if things. Roll. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. But but you want to give him three years. This is Chip Kelly after year four. Four years in which he did not recruit. And wow. he, he kind of put all of his eggs. Two years in which he didn't recruit. I think you could possibly say that in the last couple of years, he might not be recruiting conventionally. Sure. But there's guys coming into the program but, that are producing pretty but, well. But is his... Okay, let's just assume that he'll be here for the next seven years. Okay. Uh, sorry, he'll be here seven years, which is the next Seven years three. total, yeah. Yes, seven years total. And you look at those seven years of rosters. Wouldn't you have to assume that this roster would be the best out of those seven? I don't think I would assume that just because I'm one of those weirdos and I am completely fooling myself because I will acknowledge that 99.9% of the SC and UCLA fans are going to disagree with me on this, but in my opinion, the reason you hired Chip Kelly and one of the reasons you were so excited about him was that he was claiming to have an edge in, even if he's not recruiting the super five-star superstars, he's 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 going to develop guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and not just the scheme fits, but also develop guys too. And I think there are a number of success stories in the Bruin program. You know, uh, Greg Dulcich, probably example A, number one. Right. You know, a guy who was a wide receiver, walk-on guy, and now he's one of the best tight ends in the country, right? Uh, you know, or you know, and, and what he's done with some of the running backs that have come in there. You know, it's a transfer from UC Davis that comes in and starts this. You know, one of the things you point to is Chip Kelly is he has a lineage of good backs now in his four years at UCLA, right. and it all started with Josh Kelly from freaking UC Davis for goodness sakes, two hundred eighty-nine yards. Yeah, and that's turned into Zach Charbonnet, a, a, a guy from Michigan. You know, that was a, a big-time recruit. So, I. Can I, you know, so I would, I would kind of, I'm like one of the Sunshine and Roses guys about how Chip Kelly has kind of developed program from that side. What I will acknowledge is he has not been able to get the game breaker guys, the big superstars sure. that are going to be superstars there, and and that's kind of what I think this team is lacking. So yeah, certainly there is that problem. Yeah, and I think if you're UCLA, if you're SC, if you're one of these big schools, you go out and get Chip Kelly because you think, well, he did amazing things at Oregon. And Oregon has more resources than most schools. Yeah. But SC and UCLA theoretically should have more resources than almost all of the schools, right? absolutely. And so that what could he do with those resources? Yeah. And I think that's where he's kind of not fit the bill. And I think it would be one thing if he wasn't recruiting elite talent but still winning with his guys. Mm -hmm. And he's not winning with... If he was winning with those guys, I wouldn't care because then you could look at it and be like, you know what? It's like De La Salle football. De La Salle had, you know, a prospect here and there, Maurice Jones-Drew, example, right? But it's not like they had the same talent that Modern Day or Long Beach Poly had, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. On an individual level. Yeah. They, but they were winning with a system that just won and they found guys who fit their scheme. Yeah. And Chip Kelly has not been winning to back that idea up. So for me... I think that, yeah, if you assume that he's going to be here for three more years, I would bet that this roster, personally, is probably going to be the best roster out of those seven years. And he's taken a step forward, but it's not the four steps forward that he needed to take to make up for the lack of stepping forward the last two years. And there's no doubt about that. I mean, I was, you know, when we did the season predictions, 
I thought that eight and four was absolutely the least he could do and still kind of maintain a hold on the job. And so I'm still sticking with that. Like, by the way, if he loses another game this season, you know, then to me, like, I I don't think there's any chance he hangs around. But it is still within that parameter for me. And when I look at the slight improvement they have made, it is still improvement. And I think that one side of the ball, he's gotten pretty much figured out. I like, even though there's people, you know, we have uh, guys on, on our side of things, uh, notably the, our bro, uh, you know, analyst, uh, Chris Osgood, who I love. And he's a super smart guy that, that tracks every single play for UCLA football. And so he's got qualms with how much Kelly's got at his disposal and how he doesn't ever settle in on the stuff that works. And he's just is like always been in that, experimenting with all sorts of new things, kind of like a grab bag of stuff. But when you objectively look at how this offense has played the last couple of years and when they are kind of fully operational, especially this year, they're putting up, you know, 30, 30, 40 points a game regularly. It's a fun brand of football to watch. It's a different than everybody else kind of thing where, I mean, I think SC fans would probably like having the what's what's the UC offense has been this year in that they have a pretty powerful running game. Uh, they're yeah. relatively... He's 40 points and I'm like, wow, what's that like? Yeah, exactly. So I, what I'm saying is that over this time that he's been here, he has gotten one side of the ball pretty much figured out, and the other side of the ball has just been a glaring albatross around the the, the program. Yeah, and you know, I UCLA's defense is. I have a million questions for you. I want, I want to ask at some yeah. point in the spot a lot about the defense because I thought last year UCLA took a weirdly a step forward on defense. Yeah, and I thought UCLA was pretty good last year. Uh, this year, I don't know if to to me they're about the same, maybe worse than last year, eye test wise. Uh, especially worse on defense, but definitely worse on defense. But but on offense, they're they're certainly probably better. But as a team, they're very similar to what they were last year. And last year's record, I thought, was a little unfair for them. But certainly, yeah. I mean, they lost two games uh, in you know uh, by three points, and they were leading both and it, games. And it was and, a weird season. Yeah, it and was a weird season. I, I like I said, I, I give. But you can Ch- say that for a lot of different. Yeah, I give Ch- Chip Kelly the benefit of the doubt for last year. Which is why I think I, w- I would have wanted to see more of him this year. For, hey, we all did. So no, there's no doubt. Anyways, uh, let's get into the news, and then we'll uh, we'll preview this game, SC and UCLA, and then wrap up the show with a little bit of a mailbag. All right, Jake, let's get into the news, the big news. What is the big news? Around USC. Huh. The Trojans finally have a starting quarterback. Oh. One, not two, in the two-quarterback system. The two-quarterback system is over. So is that by default because of an injury, or was it yeah, a positive es- decision? Essentially, essentially. Okay. I was real curious uh, about that. Keaton Slovis had, had, had a, an injury he suffered in the ASU game, took him out of the game, uh, sorry, it did not take him out of the game, but he was unable to practice last week ahead of the Cal game, which was was not played and ultimately postponed. Uh, and then this week, early on Monday, uh, Dante Williams, USC's interim head coach, is like, you know what? We're just going to roll with Dart. So Jackson Dart, the true freshman, is going to be the starting quarterback for USC on Saturday afternoon at the Coliseum against UCLA. It's going to be his first career start. He did basically play the whole Washington State game, save for three plays. In which SC had their best performance of the year up in Pullman uh, in Dante Williams' first game as an interim head coach. But that seems like a long time ago. 
long, long time ago. Uh, last two weeks, SC has done the two quarterback thing, and Dart has been okay. Uh, Slovis has been okay. Neither quarterback has looked great the last two weeks, and we've talked about it how the two quarterback system really hasn't favored anyone, especially when they've looked sort of the same. But this is probably a system that's going to end up being, you know, better to just have one guy. Just pick a dude and roll with them. And it's going to be Dart. And this is going to be the one that that makes the fans happy. Fans want Dart. I don't know that Dart is the better option than than Slovis right now. Is this decision kind of fan service-y? I don't know. Maybe. But at this point, I I don't know that that matters. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think on one side of it, in an ideal world, you just roll with Dart. If this is a video game, you just roll with Dart. Yeah. I'm apprehensive because I know people tell me this doesn't matter, but uh, rolling with Dart now means that his red shirt will be burned. He's played in uh, three games. Uh, After he plays this one, the next game against BYU will be the one that will burn his red shirt. Um, I know. If if a quarterback's really good, you only get so many years out of them anyways, whatever. Uh, I still think it sort of matters, but well, that's just me. It's old man Michael just talking, right? Uh, at, at the same point, like we like we said before, I don't know that Dart or Slovis has been better than the other. And when you have them playing about the same level, I can understand going with the young guy. So I get it. And in a, in a, in a perfect world, you do that. So here's your opportunity to do it. Slovis's injury is a little weird. Um, I feel like there's not a million details out about that thing, um, but he hasn't been practicing. If he's not practicing, then he won't be able to play. So simple as that, and it's going to be dark. You know, it is funny, too. I was looking at kind of the PFF numbers for all of the quarterbacks involved in this game, and I thought it was uh, curious that Slovis and DTR were like, you know, one was like 67th and one was like 68th. That, that, that number might be off. I mean, I'm trying to find where they were exactly in the in the ratings, but they were like right there tied to the same moment. And then Dart was a little bit further behind in the, you know, just how the PFF does does their grading and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, the PFF gradings are kind of weird anyway, you know, and how much you, stock you put into yeah, them. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical. But I, I do like them for kind of like the trends that they show. And it is, if, any, if, if anything, it is some person is giving a subjective grade on every single play whether you agree with that grade or not or how there is a grader, at least it is some sort of data point for every single play. So I do, I do find value. On it. Anyways, what I'm getting at is, is that when I was looking at Dart versus Slovis, it was like Dart had, obviously you already said it, his best game was that Washington State game where he came in and then he's been kind of progressively kind of worse and worse. Well, he, he was injured and then he's yeah. played two games since then. Yeah, well, but, but I mean, he wasn't as good as that since, right? Yeah. right? And Slovis was kind of, you know, kind of the same like all the way through yeah basically and like uh dart has kind of been at a peak and then kind of settled in underneath them a little bit right it was a, there you go it's kind of like like you said they're they're, they're kind of the same guy out there sort of with well, different skill sets especially well okay different, Do they have different skills, skill sets yes in yes but the if you watch the last two weeks uh is particularly against arizona Dart looked like someone who was coming off of a knee injury, yeah, and he was not mobile. He he was like the whole point of, you know, rolling with Dart. Part of it is because oh, he's got a live arm, and he's nimble. He'll be able to move. He'll be he'll be able to do some zone read and all those kind of things. He didn't do any of that against Arizona, and he had more stone feet in the pocket, 
against Arizona than Keaton Slovis did, and people love to hate on Keaton Slovis's inability to move in the pocket, right? Uh, so when you put those guys and they're doing the same thing in a, in a rough sense, then there was it's hard to differentiate between the two. Against Arizona, uh, Arizona State, sorry, this past week uh, in Tempe, or two weeks ago in Tempe, Dart was a little more mobile, um, and he scored on a, a quarterback keeper. Um, but he still didn't look nearly as mobile as he did before the knee injury that he suffered at Washington State. So we haven't seen the most nimble uh, of darts uh, since that very first game. But he theoretically should be more mobile than, than Slovis. The problem has been the last two games when they had a two-quarterback system, they were calling the plays as if they were basically the same guy. Yeah. And then so why, the, why are you doing that? Why are you even playing them both if that's what it is? I guess. Right. I mean, I guess so you could see how they execute the offense, quote unquote. Yeah, sure. But but the rotation didn't make any sense. Right. Like it, it just seemed like a system that was bound to put both of them behind the eight ball uh, and, and not protect or encourage any one of those guys. So do you think coming into this game now, uh, you know, uh, Dart is empowered with the starting label. Uh, yeah. It's, it's how available is Slovis? If Dart comes out and is laying well, an egg or gets hurt, I don't know. I, I think that's that's a huge question. Yeah. If if he's not practicing, then he's not playing. Yeah, uh, and then Miller Moss is, would be the backup. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that could that could play a role. That that is worrisome. When you think that Miller Moss could be that guy and not not Keaton Slovis uh, in the worst case scenario, uh, Mo Hassan is no longer there. So. You're you're down some quarterbacks. It is funny, you know. UCLA has a little bit of symmetry with that, in that you know DTR to a lesser degree has, you know, uh, he's very polarizing for fans, just like Chip Kelly is. In that he's got these really high moments, but he's also got some pretty low lows. And he didn't have to struggle very much this season for people to start clamoring for the you know the the recent transfer Ethan Garbers to, to come in for him. Yeah. Let's talk about UCLA. Let's preview this game. SC and UCLA. Let's do it. The Bruins are six and four, already bowl eligible. Hurrah! Uh, it is year four of Chip Kelly, as we've talked about before. Uh, not ranked in the polls, but uh, Sagarin has as the Bruins at thirty fourth, which is better than SC, who currently ranks fifty fourth. The interesting thing, I love the SP Plus numbers. SC ranks ahead of UCLA in literally all of them. Yeah, by a couple, except for one. And, I, and well, I, I'm pretty adamant about this. I don't think they rank ahead of them in the eye test. Because you look at UCLA. No, that, that's fair. And it's like, to me, a lot of the time, they don't look like a 6-4 team. They look like a 7-8 or eight win team to me, Sure, I think. And I might be a little biased there. But when you watch SC in these games just this particular year, like you're just like... No, UCLA should rank ahead in the eye test, for sure. Yeah. But you look at the SP Plus yeah. overall, Oh yeah. SC's 50th, UCLA's 55th. Offense, SC's 20th, UCLA's 22nd. Defense, SC's 86th, UCLA 89th. Special teams, SC's 58th, UCLA 63rd. At the very least, you could say this is an even game by any metric. Sure. But, of course, um, like like you said, in the eye test, I think UCLA is a much, much, much better football team. I wanted to get your thoughts about the offense, particularly at quarterback. You mentioned DTR. DTR has been hurt. He he came back right. What, what's what's the scenario with him? What, what's what's going on with DTR and, and Ethan Garber? He's been banged up uh, throughout the season, most notably in the game against Oregon, where you know they they kind of left him out there on an island to to make some plays and at the end. And Kayvon Thibodeau and some of those other ducks roughed him up quite a bit. And I thought he showed uh, some serious gumption. 
you know, he finished the game, which ended up being a close loss. Even though Oregon kind of stretched it out there for a minute, you know, the Bruins had a chance to win that game at the end, and they came up short, uh, which we're very used to seeing now as Bruin fans uh, recently. Uh, but then it was kind of like a double loss because the two toughest games of their season so far were basically the Oregon game and the Utah game, which were back-to-back in their schedule. And I'm not saying that they would have beat Utah in Utah with DTR, but I really think that they went there and it was pretty much a guaranteed loss as soon as he was not able to go in that game. Uh, sure. Putting Ethan Garbers in, there in his first start uh, in that situation was just, it was, it was a loser from, from the get-go. So any chance they had of winning the Utah game after that Oregon loss was right out the door when he got hurt. Uh, since then, he's kind of been still getting banged up, but he, I think he's fairly healthy now. Took a couple hits uh, in, the, in the last game against Colorado. But uh, he's very, he played one of his best games against Colorado. And I think he's ready to go. And I think he's very, very motivated to pick up his first actual win against SC as the starter. Uh, and it's, you know, may or may not. I don't know, Bruin fans are like, what the F? But may or may not be his last chance to do that. It's weird. Like, on one hand, it feels like DTR just got to UCLA. Yeah. The other hand, it feels like he's been there forever. It's funny. I have, like, I said this on the show last night in that it's DTR is probably the worst UCLA player that is in my all-time favorite list of players. Like is to he me, a magic man? To me, well, <laughs> he probably is a magic man in that I've cursed his career a little bit by rooting so hard for his butt because our magic men usually struggle, right? At least, you know, when Bill or one of the other hosts uh, will, will say that. Um, but like for me, like my pantheon of Bruin players, and these are the guys that I watched play since I was a student and, and, and since then, uh, obviously, the, the the top two are Cape McDown, Maurice Jones, Drew, and then right below that's Brett Hundley, and then and then it goes from there, right? And Where you get your Danny Farmer on that list. Darrow is very low because he was actually a student when I was there, and he was just a big tall volleyball guy, and I was in love with Cade back then. Anyway, so I mean, Cade could do no wrong, and everybody else was like kind of extraneous. Uh, so you looked the other way when he parked in those parking spots. Absolutely, yeah, he could park wherever he wanted for for all I care. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Nice try, pal. Uh, but um. You know, and then there's like the Josh Kellys of the world and, and those type of type. But DTR is right up there at the top for me. And even though he's had this crazy up and down career, I just like the guy. I like how he's, even when he's making mistakes, he's trying his ass off. And I really appreciate about him. Yeah, I, I feel like every time I watch DTR, he's someone who is either running away from something or he's <laughs> getting hit or he's, but he, you can tell he's trying, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it's weird to, to look at someone and be like, well, he's a high-effort quarterback, but he's a high-effort quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's yeah. a good way to characterize no, it. I, I can see that. And UCLA's offense, I, I think, is a little interesting because you look at the numbers. I don't think UCLA is elite in any particular number. Not anymore. They're high, they started pretty elite. They're high volume in, in terms of rushing. Yeah. So 22nd in, in the country in rushing offense, averaging 203.9 yards per game. But uh, you look at yards per carry, 42nd in the country, 4.73. So, Which is very respectable. They're, they're not going to gash you. But not crazy. But they're going to they're gonna run a lot, and they're going to get a bunch of yards that way. And I will say this, too, is that in the past, like last year, the year before, and the year before, I would say, well, you have to adjust that for all the losses they're taking from sacks. Sure. This year, that's a true stat because they really haven't taken a lot of sack yardage losses. They, they're much better at preventing the negative plays this year, but they're just kind of – they've had a couple games – uh, notably, I want to say Oregon and Arizona State, where they just couldn't quite get the running game going peak efficiency runs. Right. But they're pretty good at it. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah, UCLA has a pretty good run game, which is, I think, going to be a problem for SC when you look at what ASU did last last week or two weeks ago. That SC-ASU game, I don't know if you saw any of it. It was a terrible football game. Yeah. Both teams looked atrocious. 
and yet ASU could have ran for 800 yards if they would have just choose to run on yeah, every they just time. would have decided to do that if they would have just decided to do it yeah yeah which I think if you're an SC fan looking at this game on Saturday you have to be worried about Zach Charbonnet because talent wise he's one of the best UCLA running backs in a long time right? there's a little bit of breaking news about Britton Brown he okay. was hurt today and he may or may not be available in this game or the rest of the season Britton Brown isn't that just English tea what can Brown do for you is who he is. Uh, I have a drop here somewhere I, I want to play. What can Brown do for you? And no, he is UCLA's super stud, uh, second string now running back. And I think he had a pretty good game against you last year, if I remember right. What I will say about this, about the running game, though, Michael, is, like you said, they average a pretty good four and a half yards of carry or whatever. Um, I think early in the year when they had almost their full starting lineup that they were expecting. They haven't had the right center in all year long. Uh, you know, their, their starting center got hurt mysteriously at the beginning, you know, in, in camp and he hasn't been there ever since. And then in the last game or two, they've had to start a freshman at uh, right tackle, you know, that opposite Sean Ryan, uh, Alec Anderson has been a very good Bruin uh, for the last couple of years. And so I think that's been a, a big problem with the running game this year. Um, when it has gone wrong, it's been a little bit of the problem with the center position and having the freshman in their last game or game and a half or so. But the one thing about the UCLA running backs, and yeah, I guess we're not going to see Brown, but at least for Charbonnet uh, this week, they are some very angry styled running backs and they are not going to uh, give away yards. They're, they're going to take every yard they can get. And I, you know, I, they're fun to watch in that regard. Yeah. And then flipping over to the passing game, uh, Dulcich, Dulcich. Dulcich, right? He's somehow always open. I don't understand it, but dude is always running down the middle of the field, wide freaking open, and apparently, according to, like I said, our our bro analyst, uh, Chris Osgood, they run the same play every gosh darn time. You know, so you'd think that other teams could key on in that, but five times a game, he is running down the field wide open. Yeah, which means... And it's majestic. Five TDs, potentially. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a brutal matchup for SC's defense. But flipping it around, USC's offense, this might be what the doctor ordered because UCLA's defense is uh, no bueno. Yes. Um, 113th in total pass defense, allowing 267.2 yards per game. They're 77th in scoring defense, 77th in total defense, 73rd in yards per play allowed at 5.65 yards per play. You know, the one thing I was very kind of surprised to see, though, is that as far as the passing defense goes, which is the something that Bruin fans have been lamenting and pissed off about the entire year, I was shocked to see that not UCLA, but USC gives up the most yards per attempt in the conference at 8.2 compared to 7.3 for UCLA, and that they'd given up an equal amount of touchdowns through the air, and uh, you know SC's got a couple more picks, but... I didn't think there was a worse pass defense in the conference, but arguably SC's is just as bad. So, I mean, this could be a feast for both offenses as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 100%. But I think I think if you're SC, you want to somehow be able to stop the run and force certainly. DTR to pass certainly more, more than anything if you're going to pick your poison. Uh, certainly, you don't want to get beat by Dulcich over the top, but... Yeah, and uh, if everything's going right for the Bruins, it's not just the, the running backs running, but DTR is able to get Dulcich over the middle, and then yeah. run for 10, 15 yards just like he did against Colorado. So, yeah. And that's really what they're looking for. Michael, you said earlier, talking about how last year's defense for UCLA kind of took a step forward, and then that certainly hasn't been the case this year. Yeah. You know, they overhauled their defense last year, and 
for all the Bruin fans who are out there clamoring about, oh, Jerry Azanaro has been there for four years and he sucks and he shouldn't fire it after year I one. Heard he hasn't talked to the media. He doesn't talk to the media. Like he talks to the national media, like before the games. But you know, yes, all the Bruin beat reporters are not too thrilled the fact that Jerry's never been made available. You know, and whatever. I, I don't. I don't really know why. Um, I don't really care about that stuff. But I could see if I was a beat reporter, I'd be kind of pissed, especially if I asked for it over and over again and they never made it available. That would probably rub me the wrong way. But the thing that everybody's forgetting about right now when they talk about Jerry Azanaro for four years, is they actually have tried to do something new, and that was last year. When they brought in Brian Nerwood, they pretty much overhauled the entire defense, went to a, a scheme that was based on having a you know a striker position, basically a nickelback that would be a, the, the hybrid guy. You know, it's, everybody's doing it, but they consciously went away from labeling themselves as a 3-4 team to a you know, to this uh, multiple yeah, nickel. It's a, it's a nickel-based team with a, with a hybrid position, and for a little while last year, I thought it was markedly improved, and that w- what what led to a lot of the optimism coming into this year. The big difference has been um, when you look at how their tackles for a loss and how much pressure they were able to generate last year um, really didn't translate into this year. And a big part of that was uh, they had a big dude named Osa Odigizua last year who was able to just you know, uh, uh, account for so many offensive players just trying to take up his, you know, uh, deal with his space that that freed up a lot of these other guys like Mitchell Lagude and, and dudes like that well, to make some big plays. And this year, they just haven't had that. It's so similar to SC's problem yeah. because SC's, uh, SC was a very good defensive team last year. Uh, very good, like, not in an elite way, but they were certainly good enough yeah. to where you, you could pair them with the USC Perfectly fine and win a bunch of games. And you'd feel very good about that defense against most teams. A lot of it was Talano Hufanga, but a lot of it was the defensive line. And so there was a lot of hope going into this year when SC gets Corey Foreman and they bring back Drake Jackson. And what is that going to mean for the offensive line? Well, Brandon Peely gets hurt. He's out for the season. Marlon Tupelo, too, is gone to the NFL. And not having those two big bodies in the front of that defensive line really has created a huge wealth of issues. So it's not just Tufanga. It's not having that anchor up front in the middle of that defensive line that you need. Uh, and it turns out that you need one of those guys, and SC hasn't had them, hasn't been able to recruit it. Uh, 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 Sopcher, the the Alabama transfer, hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, Tuli Tui Pelotu is not that... It doesn't have that frame that his brother has. He's more of an end guy, so... You end up in a situation where SC is running different personnel uh, in the same sort of defense, and they have the same issues. Yeah, and just to put a fine point on that for the Bruins, it you know last year in all but one of their seven games, they had at least five tackles for a loss, and most of the time they were more like eight or nine in a game. Yeah, this year over half of their games they haven't even got to four. So yeah, and SC has had games where they don't get a sack. Yeah, exactly, and it's like that's just especially the type of defense they're trying to run. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to cut it, right? right? And so everybody's uh, so pissed off about the pass defense, but you're not going to you're you're not going to win any games if your pass defense has to cover people for so long because you're you're not generating any pressure and you're not putting any pressure on the quarterback and they can just zip it in there, right? And so, that's a big problem. So what does that mean on Saturday? Does that make it easier for Jackson Dart? Uh, or, um, I guess my other question, maybe this isn't an or, but what do you expect in general? Is this have a game? Is this a game that's going to look like last year where it's going to be a shootout and they're going to go up and down the field? 
or is it going to be something else? What are you expecting as a whole? Save your prediction for over under, but but what is your uh, what was your vibe of the game? The way I feel it's going to go is I, you know UCLA is coming off of a pretty good defensive game against Colorado, but then again that's like saying you're coming off a good against you know, you know Colorado's not a right. good offense, yeah. right? Yeah, so uh, SC's certainly another category, even as much as they have struggled at times. Um, I kind of see it as a a shootout in the making, a lot of yardage being uh, you know uh, taken uh, accounted for. Don't know if. The teams are going to finish by getting into the end zone. UCLA has been pretty good at, once they get into scoring position, getting touchdowns out of it. Yeah. Uh, they can't hit a field goal, apparently, to save their lives. They miss one a game. But um, I kind of feel like this has got shootout sort of written all over it. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if, because of, just because it's that weird rivalry game thing, if somehow the defenses manage to make some big plays and that kind of changes things too, you know. So I don't yeah. think they're going to stop anybody, like shut anybody down. But I could see a big sack, a big strip fumble, something like that. And I think if the defenses are going to put a stamp on this game, it'll have to be because of one of those sorts of plays, sure. not Maybe, any sort of not the yardage stop, not the yardage stoppers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't I, see a lot of three and outs. Let's put it that way. No, that, that's fair. I, I, I think that I mostly agree. I think in general, I wouldn't be shocked at anything in this game. I think that's true too. Um, I, I I think if, if UCLA dominated this game, if SC, you know, had a redux of the Wazoo game, I wouldn't be shocked either either way. I wouldn't be shocked if this was a shootout. I wouldn't be shocked if it was a low scoring game. I would not be shocked at anything because I don't I don't trust SC at this point, and I don't completely trust UCLA either. Nor do I. So like any literally anything could happen. Um. At the same time, I think UCLA's offense is a terrible matchup for USC's defense. And I think it's the most consistent of the four units. Yes, 100%. Uh, SC's problem on offense is they gain a lot of yards. They don't score a lot of points. And so, yeah, I, I think that SC is in a position where they could be set up to play in that shootout. But that means they have to score. That means they have to end drives. I'm not going to hold my breath that that's going to happen. So, yeah, and to your point, MC, uh, when you look at SC, uh, I was looking at just like the like a stat, like the red zone conversion percentage thing, right? Like they're second in the Pac-12 at like oh, you they're know, all field goals. Yeah, they're like at like ninety percent scoring wise, but when you look at their touchdown percentage, it's down bottom of the Pac-12 at like fifty six percent. Right. Yeah. You know, in UCLA, where like I said, they miss a lot of field goals, but they are scoring touchdowns on seventy percent of the time. They get inside the twenty, uh, and they're, they're pretty good at finishing off drives. I will say that for them. Uh, the, the worst thing, the the thing that I that I dread the most with UCLA is give them a really meaningful fourth and one. And I'm worried. I'd rather them be fourth and seventeen, to be honest with you, than fourth and one, because that's when too cute for school, too cute for anybody. Yeah. Chip comes out, and then they do something dumb, like run sideways uh, for six yards instead of just going straight ahead with your big bruisers. Yeah, well, don't don't get people on on SC message boards riled up with that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right, let's get into over. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Jake. I'm excited. We are going to do some over-under. Yay. No, Alicia, so you're going to fill in. But, 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 Alicia did submit some over-under picks. Oh, nice. Okay. So we're still going to include her. Wonderful. Uh, it's been a wild season of over-under, one in which um, <laughs> she's done a little bit better than me, but, you know. It's what a shame. Yeah. Uh, she is 31 and 25. I'm 25 and 31. The season leaders 
it is Adam and Clinton Pittsburgh, who's 35 and 21. Uh, second really? place, D-Set, 33 and 23. He's just a baller, man. Both of them. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and then we have tied in third place, David Orange County and Tofu Garcia. I love David Orange County. Yeah. He's the best, uh, even though he's third best here. Um, and the other guy's cool, too. Yeah, Tofu Garcia, for sure. They're at 32 and 24. And then in fifth place, tied, is Alicia and PJ the Swimmer at 31 what a shame. and 25. What a shame. What a shame. Yeah, I rank 16th, but we'll skip that. Good part. job, Michael. <laughs> Sounds rumpy pumpy. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're going to do this classic over-under style. Since we have three people. You, me, and Lisa submitting over-unders. Mm-hmm. We are not beholden to just taking the opposite of someone set the line, and I set the line, and you take the under, and I'm locked into the un- the over. That's not how we're working. Okay. You're free to choose. It's rivalry week. Like uh, uh, Dolores O'Riordan, am I free to decide? God, you're so young. Sure. Yeah. The cranberries, Michael. The cranberries. Rip Dolores. I don't know what that is. God damn you. The fruit? No. All right. Uh, Jake, what's your first over-under? My first over-under uh, is just uh, something that we haven't addressed today uh, on the podcast, but I think it's something that people are wondering, and that is over-under 55K at the Coliseum this Saturday. Uh, the Trojans and their home games have been right around that 52 to 55 mark. Yeah. Most of the Announced year, all paid of the attendance. Year. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Announced paid attendance. Not, not visually, not the eye test. What they announce is going to be uh, a season high crowd at the at the Coliseum, I think, would be over 55K. Uh, at the very least, it'd be over I, their average. I can't remember what the, what the high is, but. But that's it, what, it, that's the mark we're hitting. the line, yeah. yeah. I'm going to take the over on this. Okay. Because I want to say that there's. I believe that there's a season ticket package that includes the UCLA game and like some other game or two. And so there's probably a few thousand people that have that particular season ticket package. Sure. That would automatically include them in this. So yeah, give me uh give me the over. I'm going to agree with you on the over uh, cuz I am free to decide and I'm not locked into the under. The eye test, big under. But, oh yeah. Absolutely. But 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 the announced paid attendance yeah. over. I am real curious to see what the UCLA attendance will be because on one hand, there's lots of people that are just totally out on Kelly and they're like, this season has not turned up expectations. But on the other hand, it's a season where they're going in as a favorite at the Coliseum. But there's also a lot of UCLA people are like, I would never travel to the Coliseum. Like, uh, I don't know. There. I mean, they, they they turn up, uh, you know, when, when UCLA is decent, uh, you know, uh, they turned up in uh, 2013, I want to say. Uh, I think that was a pretty good crowd. That long ago, yeah, yeah that long ago. But uh, anywho, I, yeah, I'd be, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I, I'm pissed off because I can't go to the game because yeah. I have a softball game for my daughters overlapping. So I was planning on going to the game, and I was really bummed when I found out like, the one o'clock start time. Kick, I hate it. I hate it because I need it later so I could go. That's why you don't have children. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point, Michael. Yeah. That's uh, definitely a pro tip. Yeah. But anywho. I think it'll be over because I think that even though there's a lot of people out on Kelly, I think there's still people that are like, well, they have a chance to win this game. And if you're going to go to the Coliseum, this would be a good year to do it because the Bruins have a pretty good shot at win. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll take the over. Um, so you're going to agree and take the over as well? I am. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, Alicia's not here. So <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out her picks. She'll make picks when you guys pick uh, listening to this. And remember, as always, you can go into the show notes 
Uh, and, and you'll just have to trust Michael and Elise's integrity that she doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. hundred percent. My first one over under 49 and a half percent third down conversions, successful ones for USC. The Trojans conversion rate this season is 44.25, sorry, 44.26, which is 37th nationally, but that includes a pair of poor games in October. SC was 35.71 uh, against Utah and 31.25 against ASU. Those are not good numbers, but, but, uh, UCLA is 113th nationally in defensive third down conversion rate at 44.96. It's, so, it's, so it's so bad. But that's for the season, Jake. Yeah. Jake, can we talk about October? Please. In October, UCLA was dead last in FBS, <laughs> allowing 59% of third downs for the whole month. It's been a rough Five games. Five Rough. games. There were five games in October. Rough. But the the worst three, Washington, Oregon, and Utah, UCLA allowed 64, 77, and 67% on third downs in three straight weeks. Psst, Michael, what happened in that last game? It was Colorado. <laughs> they only allowed 23% versus Colorado, so I'm, Colorado. I'm sticking with that one. I think they're, I think they're on the rise. All right, so 49 and a half. I was going to put... Put it at straight up at fifty, but I'll go forty nine and a half. Uh, can basically can SC get to fifty percent? Mm-hmm. Uh, over or under? I'm am I picking right now? Yeah. I'm solidly under on this one, and I don't believe okay. I don't believe what I'm saying, but I'm solidly under on this one. The UCLA defense is peaking right now after that impressive performance in the second half. Second half versus Colorado, they put together two solid quarters which is probably the two most solid quarters we put together all year. Wow. And they're going to take that momentum and take it right in the Coliseum. And they're going to hold SC to like 47%. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's about as confident as I can be. I'm definitely taking the over on this one. Yeah, I don't blame So you. I'll take the over. You can take the under. Uh, let's get to Alicia's first one. She says one and a half Jackson Dart turnovers. Mm. First game against Washington State. Uh, on top of my head, I think he had two. He, he had a pick. And he had a fumble. Did he have a second pick? Are they like super creative DTR fumbles where he like bounces it off his thigh, or are they kind of run of the mill fumbles? Well, one of them it was he was he was stripped. I, I it was an unlucky one. It was whatever. It was the quarterback running right, uh, and then there was an arm punt against Washington State. Yeah, he he did throw an interception against ASU late in the game uh, last week. So uh, Dart certainly prone to getting the over here, but. But do you pick the over? One and a half Jackson Dart turnovers. Once again, like I said. He's a gunslinger. Commanding performance versus Colorado two quarters worth, right? Uh, And also, there have been moments like the end of the Fresno State game where that guy, Hayner, was standing on his head making some great plays. Jesus. Can we talk about that drive? But there were some unbelievable (laughs) UCLA defensive plays right before there were some unbelievably bad UCLA defensive plays. Let me put it that way. Um, so when they get kind of hot, they can generate some turnovers. And really that's the only good thing they got going for them this year is creating some turnovers. So I'll say with the inexperienced dart, having to deal with a bunch of guys moving all around in their wacky creative, let's uh, show them one thing and then show them something else entirely sort of scheme that confuses dart enough into making a couple mistakes okay, or a couple hard hits or what have you. I'll go over. All right. Um, I feel like it has to be the over. I feel like the thing about Jackson Dart is he's going to make a bunch of good plays and then 
by trying to make the good plays, there's going to be a couple of uh, reckless plays. He's a gunslinger. That's the thing that about sounds a lot like DTR. Darnold too. Yeah, same thing. Uh, so yeah, give me the. You know what? I'm gonna take the. I'm taking it back. Taking the under. Look at you. I gotta make up points. I think the it's an easy okay. overpick. So fair enough. Fair enough. Give me give me the under on that one. Uh, what's your next one? My next one uh, has also has to do with kind of a turnover sort of stat, and that is tackles for loss. Uh, UCLA has come. Uh, my my over under is UCLA. Will it get over under five and a half tackles for a loss in this game? And SC comes in giving up four and a half tackles for a loss. UCLA on the year has averaged five and a half tackles for a loss. Five point four. You know, roughly five. So and a half. so will they hit their Will they hit their average? Will they go over their average is really what the key is. Will they go over their average? Yeah. And um, kind of as I said earlier, uh, they're playing a little better right now, and I say they do go over, and I, so I will call that over, if, even if I don't know if it was my turn or not. I apologize if it wasn't. You can go for it. Yeah, so I think they're going to go over. I'm, I'm shooting for eight. I think it's going to be over because SC had a bunch of run stuffs against ASU. Oh, yeah. And so when you have a bunch of run stuffs, yeah, the zero yard ones don't count as a TFL, mm-hmm. but the minus one ones do. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I would say take the over on that one for sure. Okay, good. I um, like the sound of that. My next one is one and a half USC timeouts taken on offense. This is good stuff. <laughs> um, why? Because USC in the last three games have taken two timeouts on offense. Two. But you know what is the weirdest part? In the last two games, you know how many timeouts USC has taken in general? How many? One each. That's bizarre. They've taken five to the locker room in each of the last two games. Huh. Interesting. Weird, right? You can't cash those in for points. No. Yeah, you really can't. Uh, against Notre Dame, they took four on defense and one on offense. Yikes. Uh, Arizona, they took one and it was just on offense. And Arizona State, they took one and it was just on defense. So uh, one and a half. I- I'm just... Because they can't possibly take this few, right? So one and a half is the line of USC timeouts taken on offense on Saturday. I'll say that they will be over, and that is just because I'm thinking about Ethan Garber's first start in Utah, and it was like on the very first drive, they went out there and they tried to do something a little that was a little too ambitious for him, and he yeah. got them set up in the wrong position in the wrong way, and it was instantly, it was it was a problem. And they had to call a timeout real quick. I think they called two in the first half off of that. And I could see, you know, the UCLA defense is not Dart, good. Dart making his first start. Yeah. The UCLA defense is not good, but they do do a lot of stuff that could be confusing for a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience. And kind of based on the the previous, my previous over under where I was talking about the tax for a loss and, and all that stuff, I could see, or the turnovers of one, I could see them calling some timeouts by necessity because he's okay. a little confused. So I'll go over. All right, I don't know that it's SC's MO to call timeouts based on confusion. Yeah. <laughs> Usually SC's just roll with the baby. Takes a timeout because the clock's running down. Yeah. Or because Well, that's the same thing. They're they're slow to get sure. it going. Okay. Which is Fair. funny for an air raid. Oh, Why would you be slow to I thought you'd just go out there and just oh. set up and go. Well, well Jake. I thought that's how it works. That's, that's a long conversation. Isn't that the principle of it? It's a long conversation for another day. <laughs> um I will take the over also. They just you have to, right? Like the they, they, they have to regress to the mean, right? I think that's a fair yeah. statement. Uh, next one for you, for Alicia is over under 169 and a half UCLA rushing yards. 
I don't know why she picked this line when the Bruins are averaging <laughs> 203.9, but that's what she texted us. Yeah. So we're both taking the over, right? I, I yeah. If they if the Bruins don't go over that, I'm going to like stab myself in the ear or something. I, I'm going to go on a limb right now. Yeah. If UCLA does not get more than 169 and a half rushing yards, uh-huh. SC wins the game. I think you're very, 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 very right about that. Yeah. Okay. Certainly. Uh, what's your last one? Uh, my last over under is over under one and a half number of trips to the injury tent for DTR. Um, mm. In a lot of these games, you know, he's doing a lot of running in the last game. Like he's his, his, I could have also done over over under on failed failed hurdle attempts for DTR, and I could have put that in there as like that that would have been like one point five or two. But we'll do the injury injury tent. He has put himself in a lot of jeopardy this season. Yep. Whereas in previous seasons, he would put himself he you know the offensive line would put him in jeopardy by just letting people run at him willy nilly. This year, the the line's been a lot better at that, and they've taken a lot fewer tackles for a loss, and they've taken, had a lot fewer plays where he's running backwards uh, and things like that. But when he gets out there in the open field and running, he's doing all sorts of twisting and gyrating and jumping, and it, it, it's pretty crazy. And uh, he comes up hobbling a little bit sometimes. So over, under, one and a half trips to the injury tent for my man DTR. Huh. He had I, one in the last game, FYI. I think I'm going to take the under because I, I this is so hard to gauge. I, yeah. I It's so wacky and one of those things that I don't know that I track – so I have to take the end. Well, you know they'll point it out in the broadcast. So yeah, for there sure. will be a definitive. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just. Saying, I don't necessarily clock it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So give me the under. Very good. Okay. What are you, what are you taking? Oh, I'm taking the. Uh, just for giggles, I'll take the over, just because I think it's going to be one of those dramatic games. Lots of crazy plays. He's out there a lot. He's he's out there gunslinging, running the ball, so doing be his like, thing. Like Hainer? Maybe. He had a Hainer moment this year, and that was against Oregon, but it didn't turn out well for him. They lost the game. God, that Hainer drive. <sighs> Don't get me started. It, it was like watching a dead man walk up the field like, how is he still brutal. doing this? It was brutal. And by the way, in that game against Fresno State, like this is the Fresno State game and the Arizona State game forever are going to go down is very, very frustrating for your boy here because the Fresno State game, they got exactly what the defense played well enough to win that game, except for on downs that were over 25 yards to go. Like, they forced them into, like, third and 27, third yeah. and 25, third and 23, fourth and 22, like, five times. And Fresno State was, like, four for four on them. One of my favorite moments as a kid four five. was watching those 7.30 games on Fox Sports West, mm. where it was, like, Steve Fiziak and, like, uh, Ramsey, Dave Ramsey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dave, not Dave Ramsey. Who's your UCLA quarterback? Why am I dumb? But <sighs> Patrick Rimp, no. We're stupid. What's his name? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I want to say it was we'll him on the, on the call. Um, and this was UCLA and Oregon State like in 99, 2000. And Oregon State was down probably like 10 in the fourth quarter. Tom. Tom Ramsey. There it goes. <laughs> Tom. Anyways. Yeah. And uh, Oregon State had like a, a third and like a third and 22 or something like that. And they're like, yeah, if UCLA allows this, they don't deserve to win the game. And of course, here's like a run to like Ken Simonton or whatever. He picks up the first down and then UCLA lost the game. It's so brutal. Yeah. And so that was the first game about Fresno State against Arizona State. 
that was a blowout. The Bruins lost by 20 plus points. However, like Arizona State scored 30 points on four long plays, right? And it's like the defense was playing okay, except for the plays when they allowed like 70 yards. It's like me on Madden. It's a, yeah, it's it's very true. Yeah. But it was like it was just a very frustrating experience to watch. All right, Anywho. my last one. Over under one and a half celebration penalties <laughs> for both teams combined. Yeah. SC is certainly capable of taking them. Jackson Dart took one uh, last week when he scored a touchdown. Nice. SC's cornerbacks definitely capable of taking one of these sort of penalties. Uh, but one and a half combined, both teams. What do you think? I say absolutely. Oh, I hope it's over. And number one, that's like uh, that's betting for some some fun in the game. Yeah, sure. And it's also betting on the fact that Pac-12 refs have their heads up their asses yep. and they're going to have a quick trigger on some of those things and it's super lame. But yep. I think this is guaranteed and over. All right. Yeah, I, I will say that too. I will take the over uh, as well. We're agreeing on too much stuff. Darn it. Well, yeah. maybe at least he'll disagree with you. Last one. She says one and a half wow dart moments. Hmm. Could these be wow good or wow bad or okay, both? Hold on. Let me, let me re- read you exactly what she said in the text message. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. Uh, where's the text? Uh, He's searching. Hold, hold on, yes. Uh, I was listening to the last pod. Oh, you made so many great points. I wish I would have agreed with what you said. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what she says. This is, she sounds like all the time. Yes. Um, sorry I didn't take out the trash last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Yeah, uh, over under <laughs> one and a half wow dart moments to be determined by consensus. Okay. Interesting. I think that that could be. I think it could be wow, yes or wow, wow, no. We'll just go with that. So I mean, so yes or no? Yeah. You you know what I'm saying? Like wow, a great player. Wow, horrible play. That kind of thing. If that's the case, I think take the easy over because you get. I think so. Two two spectrums. Yeah, give me the over. I'll take the. I'll be the same. We'll agree again. I'm sorry. We agree. Yeah, yeah. we definitely agree on everything. Sorry, MC. <laughs> We agree on let's, everything, let's right? Let's go to game predictions. Uh-huh. Uh, Bill Connolly's metrics, the SP Plus numbers, have SC winning 33-32 with a 51% win probability F off. over UCLA. Uh, the Win Casino in Vegas has the Bruins as a three-point favorite. Let's get into the game predictions. We have a call from Alicia. Uh, let's see what she says about her prediction. She called in and gave her prediction here. Hey guys, it's Alicia on assignment um, in a very, very loud place in my assignment. And uh, I'm trying to call in here. I hope you guys can hear me okay. I'm doing uh, the prediction for the UCLA game. And I am very, very sad to say that I have very low hopes for USC in this game. You look at UCLA this year, they've only really lost two good teams. I think Fresno State's a decent team. Utah and Oregon are both good teams. And ASU just, you know, beat USC. So USC is not on their level. Um, it kills me to say that. Jake, you're going to enjoy that. But I cannot see USC winning this game. In fact, I expect this to be another in a long line of embarrassing moments for USC. I'm going at UCLA 43, USC 24. I was actively rooting for UCLA today, and it makes me feel dirty. I'm happy that UCLA won. All right. I love that, Penguin. Nice prediction. Okay. You you, you added those drops at the end. No, that was her live in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I didn't hear the the special assignment in the background. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, she she picks UCLA in, in a big one, a big uh, three TD game, uh, three TD win. That'd be nice for the for the Bruins. What what is what is your thought to to her prediction? I predicted the show. Uh, I predicted the game on my show last night, so I'll just stick with what I went with then. Okay, and uh, I you know I just predicted uh, I thirty four twenty one. UCLA is what I predicted. The way I see the game kind of playing out is I think it's going to be one where it's kind of uh, they trade shots early and then just UCLA has a little too much uh, ammo uh, in in the chamber for them at the end. And, uh, you know, the Bruins get maybe a stop or two they don't deserve and SC doesn't. And then they win by, like I said, you know, a touchdown or two. That, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Okay. I I think I'm about the same place. Like, like I said earlier in the in the show, Anything would surprise would not surprise me, and that absolutely I agree with you on that. Yeah, MC, like if SC came out and put everything together and had a blowout win, wouldn't shock me. If UCLA had a blowout win over SC, wouldn't shock me. I think I'm going to expect something along the lines of the Notre Dame game or the ASU game, a game where you can look back and say, "Well, SC gained a lot of yards and had chances, but couldn't couldn't pay those chances off enough." And uh, UCLA wins, let's say, 35-23. Sounds good. Let's just go to the You've got mail. All right, let's get to the mailbag. We're going to start with a voicemail from Michael in the 563, which is Iowa, not Idaho. Hey guys, this is Michael on the 563. Um, I'm calling a little bit later than usual because there was something about your podcast where you analyzed the coaching candidates that was nagging at the back of my head and I couldn't quite put my finger on it until I finally realized what it was. And this is what it is. Uh, I'm leery of promoting a guy from a, from a, a coordinating position who's had zero, uh, head coaching experience. I don't want USC to be the the guinea pig for them figuring out the learning curve and the things they could have done and should have done down the road and uh, at the next school and that sort of thing. Rather see somebody come in who's had some coaching experience, um, even if, for instance, to to use an extreme example, let's say Coach O, if he's learned from his, you know, mistakes at uh, LSU, I'd far rather see that than I would some dude who's never – been a head coach, but he's an outstanding you know, offense or defensive coordinator. I'd uh, be curious as to what your take is on that. That's all I got. Have a good one. Right on. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call, Michael, as always. I I understand the hesitancy, and I think in a perfect world, I agree. Any coach is a risk, we were talked about before. Uh, Chip Kelly was the best coach UCLA could have ever gotten um, a couple years ago and did not pan out, or has not panned out yet, right? And so... They're all a risk, and if they haven't had head coaching experience, they're even more of a risk. What I will say, though, is I don't think you can overcorrect based on the situation that you've been in. And for USC, that would be excluding guys who have not been a head coach because of Clay Helton. I don't think that that's the best move because you can absolutely have someone who's never had a, been a head coach succeed when you look at the I'm looking at the the college football rankings right now. Georgia, number 1 team. Who's their head coach? Kirby Smart. 
he was a national championship winning defensive coordinator who got hired at Georgia. He had no head coaching experience before he went to Georgia. Ohio State, number four, Ryan Day. He was not a head coach before he was uh, the head coach at, at Ohio State. He was offensive coordinator or uh, offensive coordinator with the Buckeyes before then. Uh, you look at Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker is hired at Michigan State, but only pl- coached for one season at Colorado, and before then he was a DC in the NFL and college football. Uh, and Michigan State seventh, right? And you go up and down this list. Thirteenth is Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley, someone who's been in the playoff multiple times, was an offensive coordinator. Uh, and a passing coordinator before that, um, some guy who he didn't have much experience at all uh, and was not a head coach before he was a head coach at Oklahoma. The difference is all of those guys worked under great coaches. And USC, had like when they, when they went out and they hired Clay Helton, they hired a guy who had not worked under a great head coach. So I think you can go out and hire... A defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator doesn't have head coaching experience if they're part of a system that has worked. If you're hiring a coordinator who doesn't have that pedigree, that's a different story. But someone like an Eric Bieniemy, yeah, he's going to be a risk because he was he has been a head coach, but he's under Andy Reid. So the hope is that he brings some of that Andy Reid mojo with you, just like Kirby Smart brought the Nick Nick Saban mojo with him to Georgia. Uh, it's always going to be a risk. All these guys are risk though. That's the thing that I, I just want to stress that just because you get someone with head coaching experience doesn't mean that they're not a risk because they absolutely are. But in general, I agree. You want someone with head coaching experience. Those aren't always the easiest guys to get except this year. Most of the guys who are the hot commodities are the guys with head coaching experience, luckily for USC. I Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that other than UCLA made the best hire in the country four years ago, and it has done everything but panned out. It's been, you know, in, in some circles, an absolute tragedy. And the two best coaches that either of our schools have hired in the last two decades, both were NFL retreads that really didn't have a hole on their resume for college. And they worked out, you know, in SC's favor, spectacularly, amazingly, the greatest time in USC history, pretty much, arguably, you know, or or one of. And for UCLA, it was the bright spot of the last two decades. So, yeah, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Uh, to the Slack message from Marcelo, after losing to Monty Jackson and the underperformance of our cornerbacks, as an interim head coach, do we really think Bone still tries to keep Dante Williams here? I'm indifferent as to whether he stays or goes. So much of this isn't his fault. And of course, the next head coach should have a say, but I can't imagine an interim doing a worse job to guarantee him a job somewhere else on staff next year. If y'all were the head coaches, would you keep him? Yes, I think you absolutely keep him for the recruiting side of things um, in a perfect world. The problem is, do you already have a DB's coach in mind? If you do, you got you to gotta pick the guy that fits your staff in a perfect world, do you keep Dante Williams if for nothing else for recruiting purposes? I don't care I don't care how the cornerbacks played underneath him. I think that he has merit as a recruiter, and that should va- should be of value in some position, whether it's special teams coordinator. I don't know anything. You could move him to anything. Um at the same point, 
the new head coach should decide. Uh, SC was in this situation, you know, years ago with Steve Sarkeesian when he came in. People were really mad that Clancy Pendergast was not retained and he brought in Justin Wilcox. But that's always going to be the move. If you if you bring in a guy who has a guy, a, a guy that is their guy, they're going to roll with their guy. You need to have the, the most important hire to get right is the head coach. The assistants will work if the head coach works. That's the way I look at it. I uh, completely agree that I think the, the, the staff should be in complete control by the head coach and they should live and die on those decisions. I hate the stories where it's like the AD has said that you can stay here, but you got to do this, this, and this. I don't want that. I want the coach to be yeah. in charge of the decision and then either they, they get fired based on the decisions or they keep their job based on the decisions. Now, as far as um, Dante Williams goes specifically, you know, the job of a head coach and what his role and response was before he took over as interim coach are like apples and oranges. And yeah, 100%. All of the good things that, you know, that he brings to a staff have nothing to do with him being the interim coach. So nothing. if no. the head coach decides that, that he is a benefit to recruiting or as a DB coach or as any other position coach, you know, all, you know the position coach thing in college football and the NFL, I'm convinced it's – they're – Almost to a degree, like there are your outliers, but for the most part, they're interchangeable anyway. You could have a guy come in coaching quarterbacks, quarter wide receivers, DBs, and it's all that's all kind of under the guidance of the head coach anyway. Like that's not as big of a deal. So, yeah, I, I don't see why they wouldn't keep him if the head coach liked him. Uh, I don't see any reason, and it has nothing to do with how he did as the interim coach. Yeah, I, I don't think anything of the, the interim stuff matters at all. Um, I mean, if he would have gotten arrested, if he would have got, if there would have been something if, crazy happening, yes, yeah. if, if there would have been something off the field or, or super problematic, but that's not Dante. Williams. That's not the case. No, no. he just is yeah. an inexperienced guy in a yeah. in a pretty big role. Yeah. Uh, Slack message from John John in Cape Town. This is the last question: the mailbag. Any progen updates in the NFL? How are our recent draft picks going at this point in the season? I saw Sam Darnold is reunited with Matt Barkley in Carolina, for example. All right, thanks for the email, John John. I've made a list, uh, four lists. Uh, and so I've, here's a little rundown. Uh, players who are having big years. I got three guys to note. Uh, Jets offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker, first-round pick in this, this past year. Uh, he's showing signs of being a perennial po- pro bowler per NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. That seems pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman has 40 catches, 503 yards, and a TD. I got him cheap in my fantasy league, and he's doing big things for me. Yeah. Uh, he's going to pretty much surpass the, the, the numbers he had last year. Screw you, T.Y. Hilton. Last year's were, numbers were also injury-shortened, so he's bounced back pretty well. And then there's um, uh, Giants defensive end Leonard Williams. Big cat. Big cat. Uh, also known as Big Check because he makes a lot of money and gets a lot, a lot of, of scrutiny money. for that. But you look at his numbers this year. He's like on pace for career highs in production. Five, five and a half sacks, 50 ta- uh, combined tackles so far in nine starts for the New York football Jets. Uh, sorry, Giants. Giants, Giants, Giants. Um, rookies, young guys to note. Uh, Amara St. Brown of the Lions, 31 catches, 311 yards, no TDs yet. Uh, I think that's fine for a rookie wide receiver. Still, He's on the get, worst offense in the NFL. Yeah, get, getting his legs under him. Uh, Tano Hufanga. Uh, He's got the Goffling throwing him passes. That's not <laughs> going to work out well. Yeah. Uh, Hufanga has one PBU, one tackle for loss, 17 combined tackles. Uh, he's still uh, working his way into the lineup. Marlon Tupelotu has played just 29 snaps for the Eagles. 
Uh, then there's defensive, uh, sorry, Dolphins. Offensive tackle Austin Jackson has started all but one game uh, and has played all right for uh, the Dolphins. Players who are struggling. Uh, Duda Smith-Schuster, uh, the Steelers wide receiver who's great in years one and two, has kind of regressed a little bit. This year he's been injured a bit, uh, but uh, five games, 15 catches, 129 yards, no TDs. Will zombie juju come back? I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold. Ooh, uh, this one hurts. It looks like his season's pretty much over uh, w- with an injury, but uh, he has had a career worth 71.3 quarterback rating, nine starts. Pre-injury with with the Panthers. Not I mean, great. they signed a dead man to come back to the team to displace old Sam. Yeah, not not great there. Yeah, uh, and Rojo Ronald Jones. I had really high hopes for him. I thought he had a good year last year. He was a big part of their their team on the way to winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. with the Bucks. So far this year, only 194 carries, 194 yards on 44 carries. He had an opportunity, and then Leonard Fournette said no. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and then Hurt Guys, uh, J2 Fale is on the IR for the Jags, and uh, Robert Woods. They, Robert Woods, that sucked. Torres ACL. I had him on my other fans of the league team. Is there a more consistent guy than Robert Woods? Uh, this year he was consistently meh, but... Th- but through through nine games, you look at his numbers, he was on par for what he had done like the last three years. Yeah, and to complete my sentence, meh, fantasy-wise, which I know a lot of listeners uh, you know, play the fantasy football, but dude, he's, he's just a good pro. I mean, he is a yeah. darn good pro. Yeah, yeah. Five and I, I, and I, I felt real sad when he uh, did his ACL. That was that sucked. Yeah, but uh, hey, the Rams have a million stars at least. Jeez, that was kind Can of a you weird week. Rant about the Rams, please. Make it quick though, because we got a whole another show to record, Michael. Okay, fine. Uh, you'll listen to my rant uh, over on the Let's Brew Show. Oh, okay. We'll save for that. Yeah, sure. Why not? You make sure you listen to the Let's Brew Show this week because Michael will be on it. <laughs> at least on one of the episodes. It's like ten episodes this week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jake, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Thanks I said for hosting us so much garage. fun. So much fun. And, Some and dog barking. Yeah, it's been too long. Uh, you know, we thought we were going to be doing a lot more recording together this year, and it hasn't worked out, uh, but I'm glad it's working out right now. Yeah, it's been, it's been a blast. Deeply uh, honored. Yeah, until then, we will see you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.